This is the Ultra Running History Podcast. I'm your host, Davey Crockett. Thanks. Thanks for coming. This is episode 29. I will tell the forgotten 1920s tale of the Tarahumara Ultra Runners from Mexico. And now a word from our sponsors. Guess what? I released another book that I think you will really enjoy. What? Grand Canyon Rim-to-Rim History. It is a must-read for anyone who has run rim-to-rim or plans to in the Grand Canyon. It presents a 130-year history of the rim-to-rim hikers, runners, trails, bridges, Phantom Ranch, and other things you will see on your run, packed with more than 400 photos. You will read about the plane that landed near Indian Garden. I'm sorry, what? The man who rode his bike across the canyon, and dozens of early experiences crossing the canyon during the early days. I scoured through thousands of old newspaper articles to write this book. Get Grand Canyon Rim-to-Rim History on Amazon. Will do. In recent years, the story of the amazing Tarahumara runners from Mexico exploded into international attention with the publication of Christopher McDougall's best-selling 2009 book, Born to Run. Runners everywhere in 2009 naively tossed their shoes aside for a while and wanted to run like the ancient Native Americans from hidden high Sierra canyons in Chihuahua, Mexico. Many other runners left the marathon distance behind, sought to run ultra marathons, and dreamed about running the Leadville 100, which exploded with new entrants. Readers of Born to Run think that the Tarahumara Indians made their debut running in America in 1992 at Leadville 100 in Colorado. It has been claimed that this was the first time that this indigenous people showed up to run outside their native environs. This is not true. Yes, the Tarahumara competed in America in 1992, but it was not the first time that they displayed their running abilities in the United States. The Tarahumara competed in America more than six decades earlier when they made an even deeper impact on ultra-running history. The story of the Tarahumara was only half told by Christopher McDougall. Their early running stories have been forgotten and need to be retold. This is the story of the Tarahumara before Born to Run. In 1905, America started its fascination with the Tarahumara Indians of Mexico as articles appeared across the country telling the tales of the most interesting tribe in the world. They were described at that time as being a savage people of about 15,000 who seemed to be untouched by modern civilization and lived in the northern portion of the Mexican Sierra Madres. The Tarahumara was thought to be the only tribe in the American continent who still made homes in hillside caves similar to the cliff-dwelling ancient Anasazi found in the southwest United States. They had their own native language and only a few of them spoke Spanish well. Crime was almost non-existent except for drunkenness. They were very superstitious but followed a tribal religion that had Catholic creed sprinkled in. The Tarahumara Indians made violins out of yellow pine and they are an integral part of their culture. Here is some authentic Tarahumara violin music. <laughs> <laughs> 
It was said that they were first discovered in 1614 by a Spanish Jesuit priest, but they were mostly left alone. Some believed that these people were part of the Aztec race, who were left behind when the Aztec migrated south. The true name for this people was the Raramuri, thought to be meaning the running people. The Spanish, not understanding their language, named them the Tarahumara. In 1906, the public became truly fascinated in their culture when it soon became reported that they were amazing distance runners. The Tarahumara held a 140-mile race annually in November at the town of Siskoquiche. The event consisted of eight 17.5-mile laps. In 1905, several runners covered the 140 miles in 30 hours. The contest did not involve only running. This description was given, quote, There were four runners on a side, and each runner was handicapped by having to take with him a wooden ball which had to be kicked along the ground in front of him for the whole distance without once being touched with his hands. One observer reported, a foot race among the Tarahumara Indians is a most picturesque scene, especially after nightfall, when the course is lit up by flaming torches carried by the eager friends of the runners who steadily pursue their way. In 1906, American railroad contractors who were building a railroad nearby were spellbound with the running exploits of the people. The workers amused themselves by wagering large sums of money on long-distance running races. That year, a historic race was held for 110 miles on rough trails over the mountains. William Denning Hornaday, an American journalist, was there to watch the race and reported that the Americans collected a purse of $100 for the winner. This created great interest among the Tarahumara, and at a council of members of the tribe, two of the fastest runners with great endurance were selected to race. Wagers were made both by the Americans and the Tarahumara. On the day of this historic mountain trail ultramarathon, the two Tarahumara set off running through the rugged mountains. The winner covered the 110 miles in 16 hours, looking fresh at the finish. Consider that Western States 100 was not actually the first mountain trail 100 miler. The 1906 Tarahumara race predated it by more than 70 years. The Mexicans told a tale that a few years earlier, a commander of Mexican soldiers was in the area and needed an important message delivered to a town more than 50 miles away. A Tarahumara runner took on the task, delivered the message, and returned within 17 hours. He then slept three hours and took another message 150 miles away, running the round trip in three days. Exaggerations were of course made, but the result was that the word got out about the Tatahumata runners as early as 1906. In 1908, Professor Hans Friedrich Gadau of Cambridge University in England was taken by Mexican military escort to explore the mountains in Chihuahua, Mexico. He came back with an account of the Tatahumata, who only had knives as weapons, and they caught their game with their hands, chasing deer and other animals until the game dropped from sheer exhaustion. Dr. M. Attle, a well-known artist and outdoorsman, visited Tarahumara in 1923 and gave a report to the Los Angeles Times. The marathon race would be child's play for them. Any of them could do a marathon half a dozen times a day. Racing is part of their religion. 
Jesus Antonio Almeida, the governor of the state of Chihuahua, was a Tarahumara by birth, but not raised in the tribe. He witnessed a Tarahumara race in a local village during June 1926. Governor Almeida was very impressed with the running talents of the tribe and believed it was time for them to compete in Mexico. The inaugural Central American and Caribbean Sea Games were being held in Mexico City starting in late October 1926. Mexico, Guatemala, and Cuba participated. Almeida quickly entered two Tarahumara men in the 10,000 meter race. The runners were Tomas Zafibro and Jose Navarrez. They had been reluctant to leave their village but agreed to run. They both ran barefoot and everyone was astonished when Zafiro won with a 10k time of 36.05. Governor Almeida and the president of Mexico Plutarco Callas wanted to showcase the newly discovered Tarahumara running talent on the world stage. Governor Almeida asked the Tarahumara men to stay and run in an exhibition 100 kilometer race after the games were complete. The terribly homesick runners declined the invitation. Nothing made them happy. They wanted to see their babies, their children, and the womanfolk who had been left behind. They shook their heads and turned their faces toward their glorious old mountains and forests. President Caius told them that it was their patriotic duty, but the runners still weren't interested. Finally, the president of Mexico promised that he would give them schools for their children, and that got their attention. But the runners would still be away from their farms, fearing the loss of their corn crop. The governor asked about the value of their crop. The two said after selling their crop, they would be able to buy 30 yards of white cotton cloth each. Almeida promised them that amount to appear. They became convinced and said, All right, we will run. The new 100-kilometer event was quickly organized to be held five days after the games. It was hoped, with the attention of this race, that the 100K would be adopted by the upcoming Olympic Games. The 100-kilometer race was held on a highway from the Silver Mining Center, Pachuca, to the stadium in Mexico City. Tomas Cifiro ran along with Leoncio San Miguel. A Mexican Virgilio Espinoza also competed. The race began in the dark at 3.05 a.m. The three ran down a highway illuminated by the white rays of car and motorcycle headlights. Cracking firecrackers broke the usual silence. Their belated belts jingled in the night, marking a steady rhythm on their quest to race to Mexico's capital city. They drank pinoli, their native drink, a liquid made from ground corn. They also chewed the entire way on peyote, a cactus with psychoactive properties that they believed had healing properties. After a couple hours, Vicchio was being left behind and was forced to stop. He was suffering from a sprained knee. The people in the villages along the highway to Mexico City lined the road to cheer them on to the city. Church bells tolled, bringing out more spectators. The two Tarahumara suffered from fatigue and cramps, but pushed through it, consuming 300 grams of pinole, several sandwiches made from tortillas, frijoles, and several oranges. As they ran toward the stadium, thousands of people cheered them on. They ran three laps around the track, finishing tied for the win of 9 hours and 37 minutes. A rider present called the Tarahumara Super Athletes. He had seen marathon winners topple across the finish line exhausted, but not the Tarahumara. 
They made an extra circuit of the half-mile track and came to a halt in front of the box occupied by President Caius to receive from his hands the prizes. College athletes at the games were astonished. The two talented runners were puzzled at the fuss that was made over them. They said that they were not the best runners in the tribe. They were just the only two who dared to leave their tribe and were not afraid to ride on the train. Zafiro and San Miguel became national heroes. The accomplishment at Mexico created more American interest. The Dallas Morning News wrote, What is believed to be one of the most remarkable running performances in sporting history was witnessed today in Mexico. They were called the greatest long-distance runners in the world. As can be expected, racist comments of the era surfaced about the people. Typical American racist stereotypes that Indians were lazy and drunk emerged. It was written in 1927. The Tarahumara are quite satisfied to live to themselves in blissful idleness. Generally speaking, they are regarded by the rest of Mexico as a lazy, decadent people, little concerned in the progress of civilization except as it may threaten to disturb their repose. The compelling desire to stub their toes upon the wooden ball seems to be the only thing that will prod them out of total inaction. Such hateful comments were countered in an El Paso, Texas newspaper with, Tarahumara Indians are said to be so degraded that they mind their own business and take care of their families. Civilization ought to do something about this. In early 1927, Austin, Texas announced plans to hold an 82-mile run from San Antonio to Austin featuring three Tarahumara Indian runners. The race was part of the Texas relays put on there by the University of Texas. Many wondered and speculated how the Tarahumara would fare running outside Mexico for the first time. In the lower altitude of Texas, it is believed the Indians should be able to do much better. They are expected to have little trouble in annihilating distance records. Some Americans were fearful that Mexico would gain an advantage at the next Olympics by including the Tarahumara. They felt comfort to know that Tarahumaras couldn't bring their Tesquino across the border into Texas and their bare feet would be running on hot pavement instead of hard-packed dirt. But then it was reported that they could protect their feet with homemade sandals made from goatskin with leather thongs to wrap around bandaged ankles. A New York Times sport columnist who was a Tarahumara skeptic wrote, This time they will run a distance measured in English miles, and they will be timed by a split-second watch. Though for that matter, in an 82-mile race, an alarm clock would do just as well. Upon receiving the invitation to compete, Mexican officials immediately started to train candidates for the race. They felt that with this new venue, they could further prove doubters wrong and bring greater respect to Mexico. On February 27, 1927, in Mexico, 15 Tarahumara villages competed with 60 athletes to identify three men and three women to send to Texas to run the 82-mile and marathon events. The elimination trials created great excitement among the Tarahumara, developing sharp rivalry among the different villages. The event became the biggest race ever held up to that time among the Tarahumara. In the main event, 26 Tarahumara men ran in a 91-mile race and three men were selected. 
Women competed in a 45-kilometer distance, but their times were not considered very extraordinary, with 4 hours 46 minutes. The final runners were chosen. Mexican authorities were still uncertain if they had selected the best runners of the tribe because they believed the best runners were never seen anywhere near the villages. The men eventually selected were Jose Torres, 24, Tomas de Frivo, 38, and Agustin Salido. The women were just girls. Lola's Cusare, 18, Juanita Cusare, 14, and Juanita Paciencia, 16. The plans for this historic race met a serious snag when it was reported that immigration authorities in El Paso, Texas refused to allow two of the runners from entering the United States on the grounds that they were illiterate and contract laborers. An immediate appeal was made to the Secretary of Labor in Washington, D.C. Newspapers mocked this immigration controversy. There could be no danger in letting in the Tarahumara Indians, for it seems that nobody at present in the United States would find his job endangered by their competition. Nobody in America right now is making a living doing 60 miles running stunts at the rate they achieve. A day later, everything was resolved with the help of Senator Earl B. Mayfield of Texas. The runners would not enter the country as immigrants, they would enter solely to take part in athletic events and were under the authority of the Department of Education. On March 21, 1927, a party of 10 Tatahumara crossed the border into the United States to compete on U.S. soil for the first time. The 10 were six runners, an interpreter, a trainer, a chaperone, and a manager. The men would run in the 82-mile race and the women in the marathon. While on a train to Austin, three of the runners suffered minor burns on their bare feet from steam heating pipes in the Pullman car. When they arrived at Austin Station, they came off the train clad in native dress, carting a huge store of supplies wrapped in, quote, gaudy blankets. A throng of newspaper reporters and curious onlookers met them. Tom Rodriguez was the runner's manager and was the director of the YMCA at Chihuahua City in Mexico. He watched over the runners constantly to make sure they didn't burn their feet on any more steam pipes and to caution them against the perils of automobile traffic. After their workouts the next day, the Tarahumara wanted to see more sights of the city. They also wanted to listen to a phonograph and to ride in an elevator. They enjoyed spending the afternoon sprawled on beds in their rooms at a hotel. On the following day, the men with their manager Rodriguez took an automobile ride to San Antonio to preview the course backwards and to get ready for the start there very early the next morning. The road was hard surfaced most of the way and in places covered with rough gravel. The runners shook their heads dubiously as they examined the highway, knowing that they would need to run in their sandals. Salido had never seen an airplane before, and when one swooped down near the car, he became consumed with fear for the majestic birds soaring above him. At 3.19 a.m., the race from San Antonio to Austin began. The race was actually just a Tarahumara exhibition. No U.S. athletes were in the race. But the event was the central event of the Texas Relays. The Austin paper wrote, It is truly a landmark in athletic history in the world, as it is the first race of its kind to be staged in this nation. 
It was billed as an 82-mile race, but turned out to be 89.4 miles. They ran in bare feet on the asphalt highway through the cool morning and only put on their sandals for the cruelest stretches. There were other difficulties. The men battled their way to Austin through a barrage of carbon monoxide gas with hundreds of automobiles that congested the highways. At about 9 a.m., they put on their wide sombreros, not to shade their faces, but to rest their arms. As the morning sun heated up, water was squeezed from a sponge on their heads and thrown on their bodies. They fed on panole, ground maize mixed with brown sugar, which they ate out of little earthen bowls. The halfway point was reached at Hunter, where they reached in less than seven hours and soon passed the 50-mile mark. Torres and Safiro were in the lead, with Salido a mile or so behind. Salido was soon attacked by stomach cramps and slowed two miles behind. The two in the lead slowed, hoping that he would catch up. But when they arrived at the 100-kilometer mark at noon, Salido was far behind. He arrived there two hours later, collapsed, and was then brought by automobile to Austin. Torres and Safiro didn't show any signs of weakening and continued along the road that was filled with cars, crowds, and motorcycles that rode along with them. One observer wrote, the runners were greeted along the road by the Mexican population enthusiastically, as well as the Americans. The Mexicans would rush to the runners with gifts. One man gave each of the boys a plaster of Paris black and white cow, while an old waterman emptied his pockets of coins into the hands of the runners. After they entered the stadium, Torres and Safiro ran around the track and then through the finishing tape covered 89.4 miles in 14 hours, 46 minutes to the thunderous acclaim of 10,000 spectators. They finished in nearly perfect condition except for their feet were cut to shreds by the asphalt. The women's marathon was also ran that day. It turned out to be 28.5 miles. They started in front of the American Statesman newspaper building at 11.34 a.m. Lola had been very ill before leaving Mexico, and the manager, Rodriguez, had given strict orders for her to not run before he left for San Antonio with the men. She disobeyed him and towed the start line. They wore their native sandals and carried cane poles about four feet long and were paced by their trainer and chaperone who rode in cars. They ran with long, easy strides and stayed close together until Juanita Pacencia had trouble with one of her sandals that came loose. She finally threw them both off and tried to catch up with the leading two. They arrived at the turnaround halfway mark at 2 hours 17 minutes with Pacencia about 1.5 miles behind. Her trainer tried to convince her to drop out, but she refused, but eventually did have to stop. Cars crowded the runners, and at one time the fumes were so bad that the women were forced to stop for a while. Juanita Cuseri dropped out with about only two miles to go because of exhaustion and pain in her feet from the heat of the pavement. Crowds lined the road back to Austin and cheered loudly. Lola finished in the stadium with a time of four hours and 20 minutes. A witness wrote, She did not fall to the ground gasping for breath. She joined her companions who she had left behind, greeted them, and turned a suspicious eye toward cameramen and newspapermen who crowded around her for photos. Lola then jogged around the stadium ground for ten minutes until her chaperone finally succeeded in making her stop as other events were going on. The Austin newspaper reported, 
The stunt went over with such a bang and proved to be so popular that the eyes of the entire world were focused upon the Indians. A Mexico newspaper published a banner headline in Spanish, The Tarahumaru Accomplished Their Great Feat. It was also written that in Mexico, the footrunners reigned in Mexico's imaginations as the heroes. Before the Tarahumara runners left the United States, many offers poured in from theatrical promoters to create plays and movies about the Tarahumara. Others wanted to take the runners to their cities for running exhibitions. Large amounts of money could have been made, but Rodriguez said, We are not out to capitalize in dollars and cents on the Tarahumara running skills. They have willingly and graciously consented to come here and given an exhibition of their running. They have accomplished their purposes and are happily on their way back to their homes, where their loved tribesmen are anxiously awaiting their return. By the time the runners reached the border at El Paso, it was announced that the three men would return to the U.S. in a month to run at the Kansas Relays to be held in Lawrence, Kansas on April 17, 1927. They would run a race from Kansas City to Lawrence, a distance of about 51 miles on a course that wouldn't be hampered with thousands of curious motorist cars. A couple days before the big Kansas event, the Tarahumara arrived three men and three women. They stayed at the Haskell Indian School. It was reported, As soon as the Indians reached Haskell last night, they removed their leather shoes, the second ones that they had ever worn, put on their sandals, and ran around the Indian school track several laps to limber up their muscles. The format for the Kansas event was similar to the Texas Relays. The men would run 51 miles from Kansas City, ending up at the Kansas University Stadium, and the women would run a 29-mile marathon from Topeka to the stadium. Five men started on April 23rd, including Purcell Kane, an Apache from Arizona, and Bert Berta, a Navajo. Jose Torres was the hero, finishing 51 miles in 6 hours, 46 minutes, and 41 seconds. Zafiro, the favorite, fell quickly behind and never caught up. When he came into the stadium, the two-mile relay was going on, and for a half lap he sprinted and kept up with them, bringing the crowd to a roar. In the women's event, Lola Cusare won again, finishing 29 miles in 5 hours, 37 minutes. She started in sandals but removed them for the last 25 miles because they were slowing her down. A few months later, Rodriguez announced that some Tarahumara had been training to run in the modern method to enable them to compete in a six-day race at Madison Square Garden in New York City. That never took place. It was also reported that a team of Tarahumara had agreed to enter C.C. Pyle's race across America, but they didn't compete. They also declined to enter a 1928 International Indian Marathon held in Lawrence, Kansas, stating that they wanted instead to run longer ultra-distances. Mexico did send Jose Torres and another Tarahumara to the 1928 Amsterdam Olympics to run in the marathon. The two were so used to running longer distances that after they crossed the finish line in 32nd and 35th place, they kept on running, not realizing that the race was over. Officials finally caught up to them and had them stop. They replied, Too short! Too short! One of the runners many years later said the reason he lost was that the food didn't agree with him. 
The Tarahumare retreated back to their native home in the mountains. Their status in American news faded back into legendary stories of the curious tribe that ran in America in 1927. In 1948, a Tarahumara 230-mile race was planned to run from Chihuahua, Mexico to El Paso, Texas for the 14th annual Southwestern Sun Carnival. The race was organized by anthropologist Dr. Robert Maury Zing of El Paso, who had lived with the Tarahumara for a year, becoming the world authority of the tribe. After 45 hours, a 35-year-old Tarahumara, Pedro Pasino, brought a smoldering torch into El Paso. He came across the International Bridge from Juarez and handed the torch to El Paso Mayor Don Ponder in the city's plaza. The mayor then lighted an urn to signify the opening of the Sun Carnival. Paseño's comments at the finish was, My feet hurt. By 1960, Tarahumara runners had disappeared from the public running competitions. They mostly struggled to live. Many articles were published over the years about their poverty, starvation, and lack of education. Efforts were made by many to help. It wasn't until the early 1990s that they returned to compete in America with the story told in Born to Run that would eventually bring great worldwide honor and respect for these amazing ultra runners. But perhaps the Tarahumara left their greatest impact in the 1920s when they first demonstrated their running abilities to the world. Dr. Mark Dyerson, a professor of history at the Pennsylvania State University, wrote this summary about the Tarahumara. The Tarahumara signified the potential for amazing prowess that modern folk hoped was still alive somewhere in the human species. In the 1920s, the foot racers played a crucial role in the growing global fascination with endurance records. The connection between modern roads and ancient running traditions was significant. A half a century later, legends about the Tarahumara served as one source of inspiration for the emergence of ultra-distance races through the landscapes of the American Southwest. With that, this is Davy Crockett, and this is the Ultra Running History Podcast. I hope you run fast and far, enjoy life, get outdoors, and most of all, stay safe and don't take unnecessary chances. <laughs>